family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 8. It will be selected verses 43 through 48. Jesus is busy in Luke chapter 8 all over the Sea of Galilee, uh, having come from the area of the Gerizines, which is on the east side, traversing across to the west side. Um, Jairus has fallen already at Jesus' feet, asking him to come to Capernaum to be able to heal his daughter because he was a synagogue leader there. And now we encounter Jesus following Jairus, and the lead-up is the verse at the end of 42 says, As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. Now, I want you to keep this thought as you read this text. You're going to encounter somebody, and I want you to think about this. What was different about this woman? Everybody else was in close proximity to Jesus. Everybody else was bumping elbows, right? Everybody else was crowding around, but what was different about her? I think it's somewhat rhetorical, but we'll point it out anyway. Verse 43, hear the word of the Lord. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Well, who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could no, not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's bow together for prayer. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we pray, in whose name we will seek to learn, and in whose name we will depart to serve. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Tradition tells us that the woman's name was Veronica, but she is unnamed within Luke. Neither is she named in Mark. 
Lots of literary clues from both Mark and Luke about this passage as you find Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, coming to Jesus on behalf of a daughter. And then you find a daughter who has no one to come to Jesus on her behalf. You find both of them falling at the feet of Jesus. You find Jairus' name specifically. You find Jesus on the way with Jairus in the crowds. And you find the woman pursuing Jesus. There's a magnificent um, painting at Magdala in, uh, at the Sea of Galilee, the commemorative place of Mary Magdalene. At the lower level of the Duke and Ultum Chapel, there's another chapel. And this beautiful painting reflects what it looked like for the woman who might have been reaching out, making the assumption that she would be down around the knees and feet of people just trying to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. It, maybe it was the the outer garment, maybe it was the tassels that were worn, but just to be able to touch, to to have that that pursuit in belief. Theologically, when we unpack this, we don't really really need to do much about wondering if Jesus was really um, unaware of what happened. I don't think anybody would agree that, well, Jesus just got surprised and snuck up on and somebody snuck some power out from him. You know, it's not like he knew what was going on. It's his, I think, ability to engage. And don't miss the little part of this, that when we look at the contrast of the art of neighboring as followers of Christ, to be aware of what's happening in the life of our neighbor's Those who were following Christ most closely had no clue who was reaching out to touch him. That will preach. That sometimes just because we're rubbing elbows with Jesus doesn't mean we're coming to him for a healing touch. Or we're coming to him to be made whole or to ask to be transformed. We just want to rub elbows with the wounded healer of Galilee. Disciples didn't know. I can almost hear Peter saying, Jesus, come on, really? I mean, how can we figure who this is? Look at everybody. And then the woman, it says in the text that she, she feared she'd be noticed. She feared she'd be called out. Twelve years being ostracized. Twelve years being told, stay away. And somehow, this amazing woman finds a way just to touch the hem. You see, it's not, it's not the amount of her faith that made her whole. It was who she was seeking that made her whole. Jesus didn't turn around and say, all right, everybody, did you see this? If you'll have faith like this, then things will happen for you. But so often that's a message in the world today. If you just have faith big enough, these things will change. I want to take kind of dead aim at a in a concept that is incredibly difficult that will mainly frustrate you more, but hopefully will give you some sense of encouragement. And that is, I don't know why a lot of things happen the way they do. I just don't. My faith can't explain diagnosis for someone who's been absolutely faithful or a windfall of joy for someone who's a rotten person. But that's on the top of my list when I enter the pearly gates. God, I got a question, you know. Though theologians will tell you it doesn't matter because all the questions you have will dissipate when you step into his glorious presence. But I got my list down here and I've got it going. You know what's number two on my list? Fire ants. 
Golly, I know the devil can't create anything, but he can manipulate creation. And I wonder if maybe the devil manipulated the fire ant because they're, they're mean, they swarm, and they get to you before you know it. And I've got bumps all over my hand from being in the, in the back, um, back area yesterday, a couple of days ago. So there's things I just can't explain, but here's what I want to give you encouragement of, and that's this. Jesus tells this young woman that her faith has made her whole or her faith has saved her. It's where she placed her faith that made her whole. And then there's an incredibly unique commission that he gives or or a blessing. How often do you remember when Jesus encounters people, he'll say, hey, don't tell anybody about what I did for you. Right? Often a time, in, in those of you studying the Gospel of Mark on Thursdays know it's called the hidden Messiah motif. This, this sense in which Jesus does something, he says, don't tell anybody. Or he'll say, go show yourself to the priest when he's healed somebody because that person's outward appearance and ailment is what broke them from community they couldn't approach. And by going to the priest, they would say, look, my leprosy is gone or my ailment is gone and they would be restored to community. But unique to this passage is Jesus' words to this woman. And what are they? Go in peace. Here's the great news of the gospel. No matter how troubled you come to Christ, you can always go in peace. And peace in the Hebrew context, which Jesus would have operated from, is not the absence of conflict. It's not a magical wand that says there's no consequences, there's no pain, there's no struggle. It is the concept of shalom. It literally means putting things back together, that a God that is with you, that loves you, that's going to be strengthening you and encouraging you when things don't seem to fit back together. He says, go in peace. Go, go with my presence that will help hold things together. So when we think about you and me as neighbors, how do we do that? Well, here's a couple of things I'm just going to encourage us with. First, um, If we're going to be good neighbors in the art of neighboring, uh, we need to know who our neighbors are. We talked a little bit about that last week. There are still sheets out on the table. Um, I've already had conversations with people who are overachievers that have taken two. Um, And I've had conversations with people this week who said, I ain't going nowhere. Can can I just pray for people? Is that good enough? I said, that's fine. That's fine. But what it means to be a neighbor is to know what's going on with your neighbors. And how do you respond? We can oftentimes, as Christians, come across a bit too strong. Have you ever had that when someone just sort of, yeah, a little bit strong for where I am? I remember being in the food line parking lot in Paris, Texas, and a woman running up to me with a bottle of oil, didn't know who I was, and flipped the oil on her thumb and just reached up to my head and said, I know you in the name of Jesus. And I could see it said olive oil on it. And I, I didn't know her name. I didn't know who she was. And I just said, that's not olive oil, is it? Yes, the Lord's olive oil. I said, I'm allergic to olive oil. <laughs> she kind of <gasps> said, I'm kidding, ma'am. I'm kidding. But I, why don't you ask somebody's name before you start lathering on them, Okay. Because if it's just you doing it, it's all about you. It's not about God. And so when we think about how do you encounter people, 
I want to lift up an image for you called, it's a modification. I want to call it the walking wounded. Some of you may recognize the name Henry Nouwen or Henry Nouwen wrote a series of books. I've got every book he ever wrote on my shelf. I've collected them from my grandfather. I purchased them and my dad. I've got a couple, sometimes I have two copies of one of them. Beautiful, beautiful writer. He talks in the wounded healer that we ought to understand that we don't do the healing. We're, we're wounded healers. But that imagery was confronted in my first year seminary and in a small group uh, conversation. It was lifted up by someone that that, that sounds a little bit like we do the healing and we don't. God is the one who does the healing. Maybe we're just the walking wounded. And maybe the healing that happens is that we can acknowledge our own woundedness and walk with others. Sometimes when people are wounded around you, you don't say anything because you don't know what to say. I get that. But do you understand that if no one talks to the person because no one knows what to say, the person who's walking in the wounds feels like nobody notices, cares, or I don't matter. So I just want to get real practical on that moment. Let's you know when you see people who are hurting and you feel totally unequipped to be able to meet them in their pain, that's okay. But if you have that degree of knowledge and awareness and you feel that tug, how hard is it just to say this? I'm sorry that this hurts so deeply. If you can enter into that space where that person is and just say, hey, I'm sorry this is hurting. You can say something like, I'm thinking and praying for you. Is there anything I can do? And here's a phrase I heard um, through a pastor who's actually a, is a rabbi who deals exclusively with grief. He said, when he encounters someone with deep grief, he says, is there some small measure of your pain or struggle that I can help you carry today? Isn't that great? Is there some small part of your pain or struggle that I can carry with you today? So the first thing is just enter in the space. Don't be like the lady in the food lion, okay? Don't go in blazing all guns. Now, there's some of your friends that are intimate that that's fine. I've got friends I do that with that I know that I'm not going to kind of gingerly walk in. I'm just going to take their hands and say, hey, I need to pray for you right now. I just feel God really wants me. But, but I know that person. It's not going to be a person that I don't know in the HEB or Kroger parking lot. Okay? Because it's probably going to alienate them rather than draw them close. So, enter that space and recognize that um, you don't have to have an answer to every issue or question. It's just the presence of who you are that's most important. We do more harm at times coming up with words because of our discomfort with silence and pain and struggle, and we throw out phrases that absolutely are contrary to what our intent is. For example... For me to tell someone else who's lost a child, well, God must have needed another angel, is horrible. Right? Now, if I'm the one who's lost that child and I'm seeking to grasp to understand God's comforting care, I understand that phrase. But it's not right for us as neighbors and Christians and followers to tell somebody God needed them. Just don't do that. Be with them. Stand with them in their pain. 
Ask them if there's something they can be praying for. And do you know what the most amazing thing is? Just be present. Just be present. We don't do silence well. We don't do being able to not fix things well. We don't do brokenness very well. But friends, if we will have the courage and the strength just to sit with and be present with, this is called a ministry of presence. Let me tell you how it played out in one person's life. How many of you remember Star Wars and Obi-Wan? How many of you know who Obi-Wan was? Now, there's got to be someone in here who knows that that's Sir Alec Guinness, right? Someone's got to know that. Born in 1914, he passed away in August of 2000. He, um, as much as we knew him from Star Wars, where he got his sort of worldwide acclaim, uh, he was a well-known professing Christian, but he wasn't always that way. And this is the story of how he came to faith. He was an outright agnostic, meaning he never... Uh, confirmed nor denied God's existence. And he was cast in the role of being Father Brown in the series in 1954, which was a series written by G.K. Chesterton. And Father Brown was a priest and a detective. And there were 51 different detective stories that they were going to be filming. And one night as he was finishing off a set, he decided just to walk home to the little village where he was staying, and he stayed in his full priest garb, and as he was walking through the dark, he heard the pitter-patter of little footsteps coming up behind him. He recognized he was a child. He was not concerned at all. He was surprised, however, to find out it was a little boy who reached up and grabbed his hand. And he just held his hand as they walked through the darkness, and what Sir Alex said is that the little boy talked incessantly while holding tightly to my hand. I spoke as little as possible because I didn't want him to know I wasn't really a priest and I wasn't French. <laughs> His true identity was never even discovered. All along the way, the boy thought he was holding the hand of a priest. And Sir Alex thought, you know what, I must, this must be a place of safety, of security. And when they got to the village where they were going, the little boy gave his hand a squeeze and disappeared into the dark in the street. Sir Alec was so deeply moved at this event in 1954 that in that moment, in that place, he realized there was one whose hand he could hold. And he moved from being an agnostic to one who believed in faith of Christ, placed his faith in Christ, belief in God, because of a child, and he never knew his name. Friends, if you're going to be a good neighbor, you need to understand you don't have to fix everything. Be present, know who your neighbor is, and your homework this week is to begin praying for that neighbor. Now, I've got an action step for you next week. We're going to give you an action step. Um, it's, it's, it's easy, okay? So I don't want to see a nose dive in attendance next week because you don't want the homework assignment, okay? In fact, let me just take a picture real quick, make sure. And, well, yeah, smile. 
Smile, Jerry. Smile, John. Okay, we got everybody there. All right. I'm sure. Yeah, Jed, I can see you in the back. That's good. Jesus says the same thing to you and me that he says to this heroine of the faith. Go in peace. It's not the amount of faith that you have. It's where you place whatever faith you have and who is it placed in. Our hope is you place it in the wounded healer of Galilee, Jesus the Christ, the one, no matter how bad it gets, will always be with you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace because all of it's amazing. Thank you for children who grab the hands of people that change their lives. And may we be inspired through the stories of Scripture and the witness of your word and the stories and witnesses of people whose lives are changed to be attentive to who our neighbor is around us. Help us have the courage to enter conversations in authentic ways. And even if we don't bridge the gap to know much about our neighbor, help us to be praying for our neighbor and praying that you would reveal and let us see ways that we can witness to your love to those that are around us. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.